morning. I'm Brian. I'm, a, as I've said before, one of the faces of the multi-membered uh, teaching team here. I just have a little more face than a lot of them. Um, thank you for laughing. It's a good start. Uh, today we continue our series uh, about the restoration of Shalom. Um, if this is your first time with us, uh, fear not. Uh, besides the little like debriefing or you know quick survey of what came before, uh, all of the different services, if you're interested, all the different teachings are on our website or through our app. So you can go back and, and take a listen, take a look at them. Uh, besides this recap, you can do that. Wayne started us off uh, with four weeks of unpacking uh, what the series is about. Shalom is the way of God, not of human empire, right? It's about putting things back together. To have shalom is to have a flourishing, abundant relationship, not lacking anything with God, with each other, with nature, and with ourselves. And kind of the high points of those four to the left are on the right. It's a spiritual, social, physical, and psychological bits to all of that. Multidimensional, complete well-being, and I will add, embraced and acted upon. I, I love at the beginning when Ben said, fearless, fearless neighborliness, right? The idea of, of being fearless in approaching our neighbors. And today, I, I kind of feel that as I speak, um, I'm preaching to the choir. I love that term, right? Which would mean that I would be like this if we were that kind of church. I'd be talking to these folks back here, right? You know, not tripping over the guitar or slamming into the drums. But, right? And for this, when, when we talk about the environment, I have no doubt, just knowing kind of what our church is about, that all of us try to treat our world well. But I am going to, because that's what was given to me in the prompts, unpack some of that and where we're headed with our environment. Uh, so back to the recap. Andrew then followed, setting up the section we're in now uh, about nature and the restoration of shalom, shalom, right? He emphasized that just as the earth was created, so were we humans. We're all tied together. That our salvation is not just a cosmic escape plan, that heaven and earth are not separate, that they overlap, right? Um, we're meant to have an abundant and flourishing relationship with nature. And then Jenny, last week, Jenny said that uh, she took us on a, a sojourn, right? We're, on, we're traveling here. And we took a look at the Celts and the Native Americans and how they take on uh, the created world. And, and, and their insights offer us uh, a harmony and a rhythm that furthers our understanding of God and our environment. Um, so I want to start near the beginning of the Bible, right? From God's perspective, right? God has been busy for six days, creating and creating and creating. He finishes by saying this, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was the evening, and there was the morning, the sixth day. All of it, right? Start to finish. Heaven, earth, light, plants, animals, lastly, people, 
And it was very good. All right? Not just simply good, but very good. Exceedingly good, abundantly good, muchly good. This is what and how it all started. And this is what we long to get back to. Right? So here are kind of the questions that I've been assigned today and that I've embraced and I've been chewing on for like, I don't know, a couple months now. And so here's, a, here's the answer from me. Uh, and it's an answer from the not-so-distant past. How are humans in the planet getting along? Uh, this is Glendalock, if anybody's ever seen it before. It's in Ireland, and it's next to maybe like Yosemite, one of the prettiest places, in my opinion, in the world. Um, so how are we doing? So here's an answer. Zero, 131 hours. I don't know if you can read that. Uh, optimized battery charging, because like, you know, I, I'm too cheap to buy a new phone, so I have an, an 8, an iPhone 8, don't gasp, and my battery needs to be charged all the time. Uh, emergency alert, National Weather Service tornado warning, in this area until 2 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, take shelter now in a basement. I looked. I live in California. I don't have a basement, because we have earthquakes. All right, anytime I've ever traveled for, for, for my work and I've dealt with uh, guys and gals in other states, you know, especially like Oklahoma and, and the South, they talk about tornadoes. I had a partner that, that was raised in Oklahoma. He said it was a great place to be from. Um, a lot of people from Oklahoma here. Um, he said it was a great place to be from. And he said when he was a kid, his dad took him out to sit and watch the tornadoes moving around his town. And that terrified me. And he said to me, come on, man, you're, you're from this state. Uh, uh, earthquakes terrify me. And I, I guess, you know, it's, it's what you know, right? I, I, I grew up with earthquakes, born in California. It's always just kind of been a part of it. I, you know, I think I've shared before here, I was on stage once when, when we, we had an earthquake. <laughs> stage manager's going, I think we're okay. I think we're okay. You know, and it's just, just a part of what we do here in, in this state. But the one thing we don't do in the state, I mean, we do fires, we do drought, we do a lot of things when it comes to the environment, but we don't do tornadoes. So this is rude. One thirty-one in the morning, my wife says to me, what do we do? What do we do? And I sat there and I was thinking, I don't know. I think we just sit here. And if we hear, let's go to the next slide, here we go. If we hear something that sounds like a freight train, uh, we'll go lay down in the bathtub so that they'll find us later. We only have one room in our house, and that's our very small walk-in closet that doesn't have a window. And I know tornadoes, windows are not friends of tornadoes. So I'm thinking, what the what, what? And then this pops up. Tornado moaning and three more. I'm like, ah, great. Just swell, and you can see like the, the, the graph there. It's going, it's bordering on extreme precipitation, and the wind is like off the charts. I love this 10 day forecast today 100% rain and tornadoes, right? So here's the answer. How are we doing with nature? Here's a couple more examples, right? Let's go back to just before our tornado warning in the middle of the night, three months. Of the months of August and October, oh so long ago, 2023. This pair, 
Hillary and Otis, right? Sounds like a formulaic rom-com featuring, you know, a road trip with a couple from a small town. Hillary and Otis. The only difference is on August 18th, Hillary was not on a road trip. She was a Category 4 storm with 140 mile an hour winds as it moved up the coast of Mexico and towards California. The National Hurricane Center, for the first time in the history of that institution, uh, issued a first ever tropical storm warning for Southern California. And it said this, right? It extends from Mexico to the United States border to just north of Los Angeles. Hmm, what is just north of Los Angeles? Hillary brought a year's worth of rain to some areas in a very short amount of time. She caused floods, mudslides, and her name has been retired because she caused death. Next to Hillary is the pictured hurricane of Otis. As it approaches the west coast of Mexico, Otis was a Category 5 hurricane with winds in excess of 165 miles an hour was the strongest hurricane ever recorded to hit the Pacific coast of Mexico, ever. Did some serious damage to Acapulco, right? There is talk about now making a Category 6. And, and it's, some scientists are saying we need it because the storms are getting stronger and stronger. But they're scared to do that, or scared is maybe not the right term. They, it's not a scientific term, but it's, they're frightened to, to make a Category 6 because then people will think, eh, it's just a Category 5, right? And you can go back, and if you want to go to the Hurricane Hunters website or, you know, National Weather Service, you can look back at the histories of these hurricanes. I mean, I get if you live in Florida, you're like us with an earthquake. Ah, eh, it's just an earthquake. Except these things do major damage, and they seem to be getting worse. Mother Nature, Mother Earth, is saying something. She's saying things are changing, and not so much for the better. This is due in large part thanks to a warming planet, which, make no mistake, is due abundantly to human activity. There is what seems to be a constant drumbeat of record heat, cold, wind, snow, wind, drought, ocean heating, cooling. We have sea rise, La Nina, El Nino, atmospheric rivers, coming again this weekend. Current change, uh, current, not current change, but currents in the ocean. Tsunamis, coral reefs crumbling, large amount of fish dying, toxic algae blooms, giant balls of plastic floating around in the oceans, microscopic balls of plastic in our drinks. So great, I got that floating around in my body. Along with, maybe some of you don't remember this, a lot of secondhand smoke. We don't do that anymore. But I know I was exposed to that, not to mention DDT because of my age. We got rid of that in the 60s, right? Surely some of the favorites from the pandemic apply to our world, right? Unprecedented, new normal, challenging, disputed. Some ignore, some panic. Some just frankly don't care. Just going along with their business. Before we dive in, I want to point out a couple of books uh, that I, well, one I went back to, one I never read before. The 11th Commandment, Caring for Creation, Words of Wisdoms from the World's Great Faith uh, Traditions. You can see all the authors down there at the bottom. Uh, it's edited by Christine Williams. Um, it's, it's from the Christian, Jewish, and Islamic, uh, from Christian, Jewish, and Islamic writers. 
Abrahamic traditions, right? And it's, uh, it's a variety that's worthy of contemplation, worthy of reading for sure, just because you're getting a, a breadth of views. And next to it is a book by a man named Tony Campolo. How many of you have heard of him? Okay, a few of you, right on. All right, um, it's called How to Rescue the Earth Without Worshiping Nature, A Christian's Call to Save Creation. Now, this book was written over 25 years ago, and uh, Tony was writing pretty much for the evangelical community, um, and that title kind of speaks to that day it was written, that people were very concerned about new age, right? New age this, new age that. So he's trying to get it out there that, look, he's trying to say, I'm not talking about going out there and worshiping a tree. I'm saying that we need to save the planet. And so that's why the title may be kind of hitting you a little sideways. Um, Tony's a, a professor, a pastor, a speaker, and a writer. Uh, he's a person that will freely say that he's had change of heart on things. Um, he was back then and continues to this day to be an outspoken person. He's a progressive who's willing to call it the way he sees it. He writes in this book at the beginning, my main reason for writing this book is that I want to add my voice to an increasing chorus which declares that rescuing the environment from an impending disaster is biblically mandated and that ending the careless, selfish lifestyle that has brought us to this impending disaster is a Christian obligation. It is a Christian obligation. I wish I was smart enough to write that, but I'm not. So I took a really smart man and used his words. And that is something we should all take to heart. This is an obligation for us. If you sit here today as a skeptic, that's fine. If you sit here today as a Christ follower, this is an obligation for us. Um, I first read this book back, way back, okay, we're going way back, 1992 uh, is when it was published. Uh, if I remember right, it didn't sell very well. It might sell better today, I don't know. It didn't sell very well back in 92 when it came back, when it came out. Uh, it kind of ran up against some of the things people believed back then and quite frankly still believe today. Um, are we heeding the call, Right? 25 plus years later, to make this a Christian obligation? Next question. In what ways have we been influenced by our past and present when it comes to the treatment of the environment? Now, let's start for the present. All right? We live in a country that contains, you may be familiar with this, about 4.25% of the world's population. Right? And to date, starting and with the, during the Industrial Revolution, 1760 to 1840 approximately, we have emitted 25% of the world's greenhouse gases. Um, we are an economic engine, right? No doubt. It's created mostly by fossil fuels, which are followed by cement, right? I was stunned to read in an MIT report of how much, like 8% of greenhouse gases come from the production of cement. I had no idea. And maybe some of you knew that. I didn't know that. I know we use a lot of cement. These walls are cement. We, we use cement everywhere. It's a really strong production uh, material. We, uh, as a nation, we are addicted to fossil fuels and cement, right? We consume about 19.78 million barrels of oil a day in this country. That's 42 gallons, here's a little mouth, in a barrel. That's 830,760,000 gallons of oil per day. 
if I did my math right. If I didn't, I'm sorry. All addictions affect us both spiritually and physically, right? In the Hebrew writings, addictions are, some, are called adultery, right? Or not adultery, you could say that, idolatry. We are a nation, as a nation, are collectively driven by our consumption, right? You look at any economist's report, and the number one thing that is propping up our economy right now is us. It's the consumers. We keep buying more and more. Uh, They're building a new storage place right down the street from us. It's because we need more storage to put our stuff. It's all about consuming. To be satisfied, we have to consume. There is a cost to these desires and to the planet. And to throughout the world, uh, other people pay for that. I'll be honest with you. I've been wrestling this for a while, and it's partly because of my age, right? There is no doubt that um, we, as Christians, we have legacy in mind, right? We celebrate Passover. We... We celebrate communion. These are moments when we're looking back and and taking part in in events that happen behind us to remind us of what's important today. Um, As as a man who raised three kids with my wife, uh, when when we were coming up, my biggest concern was loving them and keeping them alive. That was it, you know, providing them a house. And, and getting them to football practice and paying for the, all the stuff that goes with it and healthcare and you know, all the things, right? But now I'm a grandfather, right? And I'm now of a certain age where that's not my concern. My kids get to have that concern for my four grandchildren. And it is a moment, you know, some people say, oh, the great thing about being a grandparent is you get to hand the kids back. That's not it. The greatest thing for my wife and I is the relationship that we have with my grandchildren. And every time I see them, practically, I think, what am I leaving them? What is my legacy? And that legacy, I'm not sure about, especially when it comes to the condition of the earth. How are we as a people taking from the future of the next generation? What are we leaving them? Some of us uh, in here, I know, because I did do, wrestle with my past. As has been mentioned before, there was a great band. Anybody remember Burlap to Cashmere? A few of you, right? So they had, their, hit, their hit song was Basic Constructions Before Leaving Earth, right? You know, fast guitar playing. And I, we actually hosted them in our old church, and they were phenomenal. And I loved that song. But I never thought until recently, really, about how that informed my, my belief and my theology, that idea that, that my Christianity, my re- personal relationship with Jesus was nothing more than uh, a, a move to the next plane, right? That it's, the Bible is all about me moving on to heaven, right? Maybe uh, you did or still hold a disp- dispensationalist's eschatology. That's a tongue twister, right? Uh, meaning that in the end times, the world spirals downward and the rapture comes and the faithful are all brought up to heaven, Right? I mean, there was sometimes when I was a kid, I would walk into a room and it would be empty, and I thought, oh, no, I missed it. I blew it, right? So this can lead some people, if you have this, this kind of background, to ask, why does caring for the environment matter, right? 
it matters because we are called by God to take care of this planet. Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image. Humankind, better translation, but I'm using NIV. In our likeness so that they may rule over the fish and the sea, the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and all, over cre- all of the creatures that move along the ground. Right? Practically every English translation of this text Right, And I looked them all up. I have them printed in the conversation. You want to see them, I'll show them to you. Right, The word is rada in the Hebrew. Right? It, 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 and it's translated as dominion or rule. Right? There's no, in my opinion, way around it. You know, some people try to kind of obfuscate that and say, well, you know, we're just supposed to walk alongside. And the thing of it is, is we don't just walk alongside. Our earth, objectively, is being affected most by us. It's not a pack of elephants. <laughs> it's not anything else. It's human beings. And according to Scripture, we are given this dominion, right? There's an old saying, that heavy is the head that wears the crown, right? The original source of this is unknown. We know that William Shakespeare wrote it in his play, King Henry IV, Deny it to a king, then happy low lie down. Uneasy lies the head that wears a crown. The never-ending responsibilities, the concerns of a ruler, at least if you're trying to do your job, right? There are many examples of rulers who embraced fully the ethos of it's good to be king. And then nothing else, right? That's it, (laughs) Pope Francis, speaking about the environment, had something to say to anyone who practices it's good to be king. When the human being considers himself the master of the universe and not its responsible steward, he or she just justifies the kind of waste and, and treats the other people and nature as mere objects, denying the fundamental right of every person to live with dignity and develop, and develop integrally. If you're doing your job or you're not doing your job, let's say, as a ruler, ultimately you have a revolt, revolution. For a quick study, right? You want to do this? It's kind of amusing and sad. Type in on a, on a search engine, uh, kings and queens that failed to do their jobs. I'll tell you this, most of them didn't end well. Some were simply eliminated right? Uh, Others resulted in large-scale upheavals. Think the Russian Romanov family, Marie Antoinette, right, to name a few. Some just simply drowned. There was a a king that didn't, in Germany, that didn't do his job, and him and his buddy drowned in a lake that was two feet deep, and he was known as a strong swimmer. Another king didn't do his job. He was killed in a hunting accident, which I think, huh, all right. Nowadays, you hear about hunting accidents, right? Because everybody's lugging around semi-automatic rifles. They hear something in the bush, and they just fire into the bush, and, you know, accident. <laughs> Sorry, didn't see you, Bob. But back then, how do you accidentally shoot somebody with an arrow? <laughs> right? And, but that's the way it's written, an arrow. Quick switch here. Jesus tells a story going with this theme of our responsibility. 
In Matthew 25, 14 through 30, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on a journey. The man who had received the five bags of uh, gold went at once. You can underline that if you have a Bible, at once. He went to work at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with the two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who received one bag went off, dug a hole, and hid the master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned, settled the accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought, brought the other five. Master, he said, you've entrusted me with, two bags, or with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. Hmm? I'm sure he had a smile on his face. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many more. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. He said, You've entrusted me with two bags of gold, so I have gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. I knew you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid when you went and hid, I went out and I hid your gold in the ground. See, I have here what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money at on deposit with the bankers, so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him, who is the one who has ten bags, for whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even when what they have will be taken from them. And throw the worthless servant outside and into darkness, where there will be weeping, gnashing of teeth. Doesn't sound very pleasant. Also, Matthew is the only gospel that uses that language, just so you know. And I'm not even going to get into that, but I will get into it and say this about that. This story is called the parable of the talents, right? I like that the NIV uses gold, and and, and it's intentional by the translators because a talent was like the parsec in in, uh, Star Wars, right? It's it's a measure of... uh, Distance, right? Not time. It was a mistake in Star Wars, right? For all of you Star Wars aficionados. The talent back in the day is a, is a measure of weight, right? Measure of weight, right? Uh, a single talent represents about 15 to 20 years of a day laborer's wages. So think about that. Five times a human being's labor, basically a lifetime, was given to the first guy two times, so the value of two people's human labors, and then one times the value of a life's work of another human being was given to the last. No small sum, honestly, to each of them. You can't just push that aside. There is little doubt that the focus of this story is about the servant who did nothing, right? The first two guys, they do a really good job. And the language in the story is almost the same for both of them, right? 
But then we get to the third guy. Right? Their reward for the first two is more work. Right? More opportunity to share their gifts. The one who is punished, who loses it all, is the one who doesn't even try. Jesus tells the story to illustrate a dynamic of God's kingdom that we must take action, right, and live out our faith. If we just bury it, then we're not, we're not exercising dominion, right, especially in, in light of our subject today. It speaks to this subject. The very earth that God created, the earth that sustains us, is of immense value. It is worthy of whatever, other, what, whatever gifts and talents that we possess. So, next question. Has politics hijacked the conversation about enviro- environmentalism? <laughs> Thank you. Somebody said yes. 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 You can shout it. Yes. Change the politics, not the climate. I love these. I, I spent a little time picking these out. The climate change, why change is this changing? Why aren't we? CO2 is in the air. That's a little throwback to the 60s. Love. They scratched out love. Uh, the wrong Amazon. There you go. So bad, even introverts are here. <laughs> and then, you know, I don't know. As I get older, I kind of take offense to this. You'll die of old age before the climate changes. Uh, I don't know about that. Don't mess with my future. Give me liberty or give me death. The climate is changing, why aren't we? There is no planet B, right? There is no planet B. So there's no doubt that we live in what has to be or feels like the most polarized society ever, right? I mean, part of that is thanks to the instantaneous reception of information that is constantly in our feeds and on our social media and, you know, wherever you gain your news. Um, My brother, for the longest time, had a sticky note on his TV that said, kill your TV. He's long gone, but that thought lives on with me. I haven't done it yet, but certainly I think about it, right? But take a look at these protest signs. Now, I have a pretty, again, strong clue about my audience here. Um, But I will say this, that we've got to get away from saying all, and I'm going to use these words, Republicans are this, and all Democrats are that, and all independents are, uh, we don't know because they're independent. They're free thinkers. They're not interested in dogma. They're critical thinkers, these independents. We've got to get away from this kind of thinking. And we do have to maintain some level of empathy if it's somebody that you don't agree with. You, try, you need to have to try to understand, right? And for me, it's, 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 it's thinking, you know, I drive an electric car. And I do that, one, because I, I'm cheap and I wanted to save on how much gas costs me. That's how I started, but I'll be honest. It, it, and, and I also wanted the sticker so I could drive in the carpool lane. It's pretty cool because I commuted a long way. But honestly, it, is sense in, it has become an ethos personally. I believe that electrification is a good thing. But if you uh, are familiar with the Permian Basin, right? Um, that's the largest oil field in the United States. It's in Texas. 
And that, those towns in that basin rise and fall, basically, in a sense, on the price of a barrel of oil, um, the fortunes of those communities. And there are generations of people that have worked those fields. And if you Google what the Permian Basin looks like, it, it's not pretty. It's not an easy place to live. Th these are people doing a hard job in a hard world with an economic reality that is, is kind of hard to wrap your arms around. And so when a, a man or a woman working in the Permian Basin hears about the electrification of, of our world and what is the same way in the path of the coal workers of Appalachia and they see their jobs going away and, and, and they're simply told, well, you just, you'll retrain. <laughs> that's, that's a leap. That's hard. I mean, I, we can't just push that aside. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't drive on for the safety of our planet, but we have to have empathy, and we have to get away from this, this, this compartmentalization of our fellow humans. So, just when you think you got it all figured out, you got the people in their camps, uh, when it comes to the environment, it's not as black and white as you think. According to a study poll last year conducted by Yale University, which if you're not familiar, it's, it's fairly popular place. My son actually at one point was thinking about going there, and I took, I, I took a, 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 they did like a, I'll let's just call it a colonoscopy of my uh, finances. And they basically came back and said, there's no way you could pay for your son to go to our college. I'm like, you're right. And the, the, the funniest part about that was that they said, uh, we suggest you would have to take uh, advantage of student loans. I'm like, yeah, really. And that was also, this was during the 08 crisis. And they also said, we noticed that your house is, you owe more than what your house is worth. This is obviously a mistake. I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> this is reality. Anyway, so there was a Yale study. Uh, conducted in spring of 23. And these are some of the, the issues that came out. Americans who think global warming is happening outnumber those who think it is not happening by a ratio of 5 to 1. 74% versus 15%. Yeah, that blew me away. That, 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 doesn't, that doesn't skew with what I hear on the TV or what I see on protest signs at some of the rallies, Right? A majority of Americans, 61%, understand that global warming is mostly human caused. By contrast, 28% think it's caused by, mostly by natural changes in the environment, right? A majority of Americans understand that most scientists think global warming is happening, all right? However... Only one in five, 20%, understand how strong that level of consensus is among scientists that more than 90% of climate scientists think human-caused global warming is happening. 90%. It's pretty strong. Although, if you watch any talk show with a point-counterpoint, you're going to have a, a, probably one-one representation. You're not going to have one climate scientist over here going, it's not happening, and nine of them over here going, yes, it is. It's going to be one-on-one. -on -one. So that gives you this imbalance just visually. But the truth of the matter is, according to Yale, current study conducted properly, 
This is the way it goes. Those who are very or extremely sure global warming is happening outnumber those who are very or extremely sure is not happening six to one. So it's 53% versus 8%. That's dramatic. And that shows that this problem, people recognize it by and large for what it is. What should a shalom-informed relationship with the earth look like today? First, let me say what it shouldn't look like. We, as bringers of shalom, we shouldn't be complacent, right? We can't allow the, the idea that this problem is too big, so therefore we take no action. It's too big, it's the world, it's huge, right? How, how do I, here, you know, in Ventura, California, how do I help? It's a cop-out. Cop it's an abandonment of our responsibility. We should look for ways we can care for the environment. We should all consider using our talents in, in personal, community, and, I dare say it, governmental arenas, all right? And, and this is very simplified, and I, and I throw it out to you to have discourse w- amongst us and outside the walls of this place so that we can embrace it even better. Because I know there are people that know so much more about this than I do in this room, right? I know as a church, we try our best to practice this, right? In our coffee mugs, we, don't, we, don't, we try to not have a lot of things that we throw away. Um, the personal comes to just that, the personal, uh, recycling. We're very fortunate where we live, right? We have a good recycling plant, by and large. When I visited, like, a, my sister lives in Arizona, not so good, <laughs> right? It's just by no comparison. We can recycle a lot of stuff. Uh, you want to try something cool? I don't know how many of you do this. We started this a couple of years ago now, now that the stuff that doesn't have a little number on it, like plastic wrap, it says store, take to store or whatever, uh, which I hand bag to Kathy and she sneaks into Sprouts, sorry Sprouts, and she chucks that away because they have a, a drop-off there. They're kind of hard to find. But what blew me away was the volume that in a week we collect into that bag. It was stunning. It was kind of like the experiment we did years ago uh, when we were doing a financial class. They said, save all of the things you get in the mail for credit cards for a month each person in that class brought a, like, Santa's bag of offers for credit cards. You know, 30% interest, it's all good, right? So these little wrappers, it's amazing how much you collect just in a week. We started going weekly because it just was ridiculous. We had piles and piles of bags, and it's really hard to sneak into Sprouts with, you know, 16 bags of plastic. So anyway, all I have to say, recycling, composting, carbon offsets, if you can afford it, right? Community. Our community is, is very into this, you know, uh, gardens, tree plantings, beach cleanups. And then something that I don't know that most of us get involved with, but we should, and that is governmental. Because government means at scale, right? The government has the power to do that. There's, you know, ask my wife, I yell at the television. Anytime I hear anybody say, I'm going to run the government like I run a business, I scream at it and say, the government's not a business. You're not there to make a profit. You have certain things you're there to do. And, and taking care of the planet is one of them. And, and, and I, I've, I said this, that I, I'm glad of where we live. I'm proud that California leads in this arena, right? All of the rest of the emissions of automobiles are set by our state, right? They don't want to lose California. 
Because if we were a nation into ourselves, we'd be the world's fifth largest economy, right? We're the, the most populous state. We have, we have a lot of political heft. And so they follow us in that direction. And I'll be honest, how many of you remember smog alerts in the 80s, right? I ran cross country, played soccer, ran track in smog alerts. I remember going, that hurts. No, but we don't have to do that anymore. I remember standing in Burbank and not being able to see the mountains. It was so thick. And that's because we've taken action, right? We live in California. We're, we're, we're fortunate. Genesis 1, 27, 28, verse 27 tells us that God creates humans in God's image and according to his likeness. God tells humans to exercise dominion. What kind of rulers or stewards, overseers should we be? Here is what we should strive for, to be a ruler like God. If we are made in God's image, we should try to be like God when it comes to creation and, quite frankly, how we deal with each other. And what does that look like? First and foremost, it starts with love. Jesus said at the Last Supper, by this you, everyone will know that you are one of my disciples, that you love one another. If love is first when it comes to how we treat the planet, everything else falls into place. Right? If that's the first thing we consider as we take actions, because of our God, our faith, which drives us to love, we, we take steps. We have hope. If you were to ask anybody, and I do mean anybody pretty much, even if they're outside the church, What is the basis for the Christian faith? They would probably quote or attempt to quote John 3.16, right? They always have the best seats at sporting events, although I do like this one. I don't know if you guys can see that in the black and white. Go back, Jeff. That guy's on the field, and and that security guy is about to hit him with a taser. So I talked about electrification. Yeah, he's fully going to embrace that. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So I pointed out Tony's book. I'm going to leave you with two thoughts from that book because, again, he's a lot smarter than me. In the preference for the book, he points out that the word world in the original Greek is the word cosmos. So I looked that up, and you know what? He's right. In the, in, according to Strong's Concordance, number 2889, cosmos, right, which means the orderly arrangement, by implication the world in a wide or, or narrow sense, including, including its inhabitants. Not just including, it's everything. Tony says it's all of its inhabitants, right? Salvation, he says, is not just for people, right? And then later, this is, you know, 80 pages later in the book, he talks about the flower study, right? You guys remember this? When they wired up flowers, and if you talked uh, uh, angrily or swore, flowers would wilt, right? But if you love flowers, if you talk to flowers, if you sing to flowers, those plants thrive. Now, Understand me, I'm, I'm not trying to, and I don't think Mr. Coppola is trying to say that, you know, that flowers are, you know, have a thought process like we have or emotions, but they respond. 
Um, there's a whole National Institute of Health study on that. You can read that later. Uh, but he says this about that. It is as though the plants blossom and shine in the context of shalom. And that the more the shalom of God is shown to them, the more glorious they respond. And I'd like to understand, underline this. I am suggesting that, and so am I. Just as the first Adam's sin permeated nature and fostered violence and death, so the righteous shalom of the second Adam, who's Jesus, as expressed through those who are willing to be channels of it, can permeate nature, bringing healing to it and restoring something of its former glory. So that those who are willing to be channels of it can permeate nature, bring healing to it, and restore something of its former glory. Right? As, uh, as these guys get ready to play, I just want to uh, share a couple more images with you. So, anybody seen this? These are, uh, if, if you're not, you should get on the website. It's the, it's the web telescope website, and they publish pictures all the time of the different things the web telescope is looking at, you know, all the way back to the beginning of time. And these are 17 spiral galaxies, 17 of them that, that, that has been taken by the web. That is millions and millions of planets. Millions. And you know how many they found that look like ours? None. This is it. For God so loved the world, the cosmos, the universe, God made it all very good. Our earth is such value. It's worthy of our love and talents. Let us strive to be channels of shalom, permeate nature, and restore our earth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this place that we live. We thank you for this time of worship. We ask that it blesses you. We give ourselves to you. Amen. Mm -hmm.